It was July of 1961, and the 38 members of the Green Bay Packers football team were gathered together for their first day of training camp. The previous season had ended with a heartbreaking defeat when the Packers squandered a lead late in the fourth quarter and lost the NFL championship to none other than the Philadelphia Eagles. Sad day, sad day. The Green Bay players had been thinking about this brutal loss for the entire offseason. And now finally, training camp had arrived. It was time to get to work. The players were eager to advance their game to the next level and start working on the details that would help them win a championship. Their coach, Vince Lombardi, had a different idea. In his best-selling book, When Pride Still Mattered, Author David Moranis explains what happened when Lombardi walked into training camp in the summer of 1961. And David writes this, he took nothing for granted. He began a tradition of starting from scratch, assuming that the players were blank slates who carried over no knowledge from the year before. He began with the most elemental statement of all. Gentlemen, he said, holding a pigskin in his right hand, So many of you know what I'm going to say. This is a football. This is a football. He started from the beginning and from scratch. Lombardi was coaching a group of three dozen professional athletes who just months prior had come within minutes of winning the biggest prize their sport could offer. And yet he started from the very beginning. Lombardi's methodical coverage of the fundamentals continued throughout training camp. Each player reviewed how to block and tackle. They opened up the playbook and started from page one. And at some point, Max McGee, the, play, the Packers Pro Bowl wide receiver, he joked, um, Coach, could you slow it down a little bit? You're going too fast for us. Lombardi reportedly cracked a smile but continued his obsession with the basics all the same. His team would become the best in the league at the tasks everyone else took for granted. Six months later, the Green Bay Packers beat the New York Giants 37 to zip to win the NFL championship. So this morning as I begin, I don't necessarily think you're blank slates, okay? I'll give you more credit than that. But I would just like for me, for me and for you, to just start at the beginning, and to offer you what I think is a football in the Christian life, in the Christian life, because our our series that we're going to start today is this, the life of the church, the life of the church. You're thinking I'm forgetting what I'm going to say. I'm pausing for impact. The life of the church. You're thinking about the building. You're picturing from the road, community heights up on the hill. It's not the church. We're the church, right? I'm the church, you're the church, we're the church. And so when we talk about the life of the church, we're talking about our lives. And if you think that I'm like this football fanatic who just loves to talk about football all the time, not at all. You ready to catch? Can you catch this right there? There you go. Whoa, good catch. So just hang on to that for me for a few minutes. We're not going to talk about football. We're going to go back, and I want to remind you, I'm going to take you back to the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, the life of the church. The, the, the Acts of the Apostles from chapter 1 to chapter 28 talks about 
the body of believers from its, uh, here's a word, from its nascent beginning, from its origin all the way out through chapter 28, some, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 years later. In the book of Acts, in, verse, in chapter 1 and verse 3, the Bible says this about Jesus. It says that he appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. So the beginning of Acts only has a little bit to say about Jesus. And, well, it has a lot to say about Jesus. But Jesus, when he was on earth, interacting with his followers. And Luke decided to write that in those early days, actually his late days, the early days of the church, the late days of his life and ministry, he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. About the kingdom of God. And then you get to the end of the book of Acts, and in chapter 28, it talks about Paul who is under house arrest, and it says for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house. It was a house, and he he couldn't really leave, and he welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed not the gospel, not the Ten Commandments, not the Romans road, but he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. So, the kingdom of God. You'll probably hear me talk about the kingdom a lot because Jesus said um, when he was on earth and he was, he was doing this miracle, he said that if the, if the spirit of God was allowing him to drive out demons and if it was by the spirit of God, Jesus said this, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The kingdom of heaven is right here. He, Jesus brought the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom in its fullness, in in its complete fullness, will be when Jesus literally, physically is on the earth, ruling in his kingdom. But until then, the kingdom of God is still here through his body on the earth. So, what is the life of the church? What is it for you when you get up in the morning and you have to get ready and go and do... What is it that we do as the body of believers? What makes us tick as a church. If we were to flip, if we were a watch and you flipped it over and took the back off and you see all the little, all the little parts inside there. Now, I don't know if that's a watch, but it kind of looks like a watch to me, so we'll just go with it. What, what is it that makes things work in the church? How does it work? What do we do? How do we live in the kingdom of God? 22 years ago, a guy named Rick Warren wrote a book, and the name of the book was The Purpose Driven Church. And it was basically marketed to pastors and ministry types. And Rick was a great marketer and promoter, but what he was really good at, well, he was a really good pastor, he is a good pastor, but what he did is he, he synthesized everything in ministry down and he fit it into five buckets. And he called them the five purposes of the church. Books were written, there was a book written by a guy named, last name Spader. I know there was a pastor Spader here. I don't know if it's any relation. Maybe some of you would know that. But a guy named Spader wrote a book about um, uh, growing a healthy church or something to that effect. And he had all the same purposes in his book. It's just his book didn't sell like the next one did. So Rick Warren became famous as the purpose-driven church guy. And in his plan, he looked at the New Testament and he synthesized it down into five purposes. Evangelism, fellowship, discipleship, ministry, and worship. 
So he would say that you lead people to Christ, and you could put it up on the next slide. You see kind of the steps here. You bring people in through evangelism. You connect them with the body, so they're fellowshipping together in relationships. And then you build them up through discipleship, and you grow them spiritually. Then you train and equip them for ministry, and then you send them out on a life of worship. He put hundreds of thousands of pastors through his training based on this simple model. And pastors all over the world would come, and they'd be like, oh, this is, this is so wonderful. It's so simple to think about how to administrate our churches based on five different areas. And these five areas became overlaid in everything in the church. And if you looked at it in a circle, now he used a baseball diamond, but in a circle you'd have evangelism and fellowship and discipleship and ministry and worship. Before that and after that, there are church and Christian life strategies that are put together. And they can become really complex, where you start with with prayer, and then you add Bible reading onto it. And then, of course, you need your Sunday rest and observing the Sabbath, and you have to serve, and you have to be careful to do the thou shalts, and then giving an offering and being involved in your small group. You've got to go on a missions trip, and you've got to be witnessing, and then you've got to do the thou shalt nots, or not do the thou shalt nots, before you go back to church to pray and read your Bible more. And believers, they got, became Christians, and they got into this, this plan where they had to go through 20 weeks of discipleship stuff and learn all these things and do all these things, and their life was supposed to change in all these ways. And the church sometimes becomes very complex. And if you move it to the stair steps, you've got the stairway to heaven. And it's like you could hardly ever get up it. So I have a question, and my question is, what if God has a better plan? What if God had a better plan? What if God had a better plan that was organic and it wasn't manufactured? Now, let me say this. Rick's ministry to the church was, was phenomenal. Debbie and I, in 1997, uh, with, with uh, the preborn Mitchell in tow, we went in October of 97 to Saddleback Church in Lake Forest, California, and we went through the the Purpose-Driven Church Conference. And it was revolutionary for us. Really changed our understanding and appreciation for the church and for the Lord. Um, But what if God had an even better plan that was just organic? What if he had a plan that was simple and not complex? What if God had a plan that depended on the Holy Spirit and not trying harder? Wouldn't you like to not to have to try harder? It's like in everything in life, you know? Bigger and better, next level living, trying harder. What if God had a better plan that anyone could manage? A plan that fit into the normal rhythms of life. One that asked us to do only what we were capable of doing. That was unhindered by our weaknesses. What if God had a better plan that left all the heavy lifting to him? Where he would do all the heavy lifting in the Christian life? What if God had a better plan that was powered by something that would never run out, we'd never run out of, that was based on the greatest commandment of all? What if God had a better plan? So in this series, The Life of the Church, I want to talk to you about what I think Jesus' plan was that Paul 
uh, uh, repeated several times, and that is throughout the New Testament, and that has its origins in the Old Testament, a better plan for the life of the church, your life and my life. How? Oh, you have it. What is the, hey, let's try it. You can do it, come on. Oh, yes, so much better than the first service person. I don't remember who it was, so I'm not ripping on them. (coughs) Rabido. Anyway, I want to talk to you about what I think is the football. This is a fo- this is a football. We're gonna. This is this is the Christian life. Let's talk about what is so simple. Hey, can you catch it again? Just hang out to it a second time. Oh, up to the altar. We can just leave it up there, and you can come and just get come and get it later. Okay, let's go to let's go to scripture. Let's go to Matthew chapter twenty-two. Um, you guys. This is going to seem simple. This is the most important thing in the world. What we're going to talk about, put Jesus on the cross. What we're going to talk about was so powerful in Jesus that he went to the cross for us. The power of this sent the God of the universe to the cross for his people. In verse 34 of Matthew 22 it says, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together, and one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? What's the greatest? They didn't know what he was going to say. They were trying to trip him up. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. Now, some people want to talk about loving God all day, but they can't love the person next to them. Let's not hear about loving God if you can't love the person to your left and to your right. This is God's love that we love one another. That's the love of God. So Jesus, knowing that, decides he's going he's to give them a second commandment that's going to be very applicable because, you know, it says somewhere in the New Testament that God is invisible, and it's a little bit difficult to love the invisible. It is. Just admit it. It is. But it's very easy to not love the person you can see. That's very easy. So Jesus added the second one, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. That last phrase is so important. That The last phrase oh shows us the the football of the Christian life. Because all the law and all the prophets, the whole Bible, hang on these two commands. Love God and love your neighbor. Which is really only one command. It's the command to love. To love him and to love each other. All the commandments are taken care of when we do that. We look uh, in, in uh, let's see, what's the next one? In, in Romans Paul writes in Romans 13, if I were to mention Romans 13 to you, uh, you would say, oh, that's the chapter that talks about, oh, human government, blah, blah, blah. Eh, it really isn't. It really isn't. And we'll, someday we'll, we'll get into that. I think the most important thing in the chapter is in the middle of the chapter. It connects the beginning of the chapter and the end of the chapter. When Paul says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to what? To love one another. We never pay it off. 
For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, and then he just lists some. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. Don't covet what your neighbor has. And then he says, whatever other command there may be, they're summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Paul is saying it now. Paul is repeating what Jesus said. And Paul is writing it out. This is actually the second time Paul writes it out, and we're going to look at the first time. But he's repeating and writing out what Jesus said. They're all summed up in this one command. So you don't have to learn them all. You don't even have to learn the Ten Commandments. Like if I ask all of you, who can say all the Ten Commandments? I guarantee, I guarantee you, less than 10% of you would be able to get all ten. What do you think? We got time to try it? No, no, we don't, we don't, we don't. But you don't have to learn all, you don't even have to learn the ten. You only have to learn one. Because all the other commands, what are there, like 600 and something in the Old Testament, right, from the law? They're all found in this one command, to love, to love. Uh, Paul, Paul writes, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. It's the fulfillment. He wrote earlier in Galatians, all here in chapter 5, he says, speaking about circumcision, those who did this were like this, this special, I mean, the special elite group. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. You can't boast about either one. And so today, if we were to apply it, we would say going to church or not going to church, cursing or not cursing, drinking or not drinking, none of that has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love because if faith expresses itself through love, the drinking and not drinking takes care of itself. The cursing and not cursing, they'll take care of themselves. Faith expressing itself through love. He later writes, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, here's what you do, serve one another humbly in love. For the, and here here it is again, you guys, here it is again. This is so important. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, one command, You see the meme, right, on the internet? You had one job. You had one job. And it's goofed up, right? Their one job is all goofed up. A lot of funny little pictures about that. Our one job, our football, love your neighbor as yourself. Later on, he writes about the fruit of the Spirit. And in the list, the the way it's laid out, love is the paramount, the primary, the umbrella over all the other eight The fruit of the Spirit is love. So again, this series, the life of the church, the life of the church, the life of the church is found in the love that God gives to us and he expects us to use toward him and toward one another. Now, Mitch, you ready to help me here? Mitch is going to help me. We've got some boxes. Maybe you've noticed some white boxes. So, We do this thing with boxes because it's really, this has helped me understand the football that is the church better than anything. So at the bottom is the foundation. Mitch, 
Turn, Vanna, I mean Mitch, would you turn over the first letter? Okay, there we go. Okay, now just keep going. Yeah, you got to pick it up now. It's not so easy, is it? See, I did this in the first service, and I was out of breath. And so I said, Mitch, you got to help me in the second service. So the foundation, the foundation of the, of the pyramid of boxes is love. The foundation of the Christian life is love. Okay, I can't walk down there. Can you go get that football for me? But you're going to have to throw it. You got to throw it. Ready? If you throw it, see if I can catch it. I can't see the lights. The lights. Oh, it's broke something. I had a good bounce this morning. It went right into my hands. It looked so good. You guys, this, that's the football. Love. That's it. And you're like, duh. No, no, not duh. It's hard. It's hard. You know, what it, you know what love forced Jesus to do? To die on the cross. Love is hard. It's not easy. So when we say that that's the first and last commandment that a believer has to follow, that's not making it easy. It doesn't mean it's easy. It means it's hard. Next week we're going to talk about that. That's what we're going to talk about next week. Because a lot of us would look at that and we'd say, oh, that's, give me some depth, pastor. Give me something like, you know. No, that's as deep as you're ever going to get. That will drive you to your dying day. You will work your fingers to the bone out of love for others. That's hard. That's what God's calling us to as a church calling me and each one of you in your lives. God's calling you to that. Who is it in your life that you're having a hard time loving right now? What's the situation in your life where love is so hard? That's what we're called to. So that's the foundation. Mitch, put, the, uh, put up relationships on the end there. Yeah, good. Relationships, one of the five purposes. Rick called it Fellowship. But it's really relationships. It's us connecting with each other. So the key here, now let's see, let's see if you guys can get this now. You ready? This is profound. You ready? Ready? Loving relationships. Loving relationships. Not just relationships, but loving relationships. Look, you know, look around at the people around you in the church and think about your family. And all. Loving relationships. Now that makes it a little different, right? We all have relationships. But God calls us to have loving relationships. The next one, Mitch, in the middle, serve, service. So in the church, we're all gifted, right, by the Holy Spirit to serve one another. And somewhere it says to serve one another, we just read it, humbly in love. So the key here is loving service. The third one, Mitch, the third box is worship. And the key here, again, we, we get together. Now, this is just a little snippet of our week. We get together in a group for, for corporate worship. Is it loving worship? I guess only I know that for me and only you know that for you. And during the week, your life of worship, is it loving worship or is it just worship? Can it be worship if it's not loving worship? Can it be service, real service, God's service, if it's not loving service? That's a good question. Mitch, uh, go to the, the far one over, put, uh, no, the one that's close, put uh, growth. 
No, no, you're there. Yeah, just grab growth, put it above worship and service. Oh, he got them out of order, huh? Yeah, yeah, see, yeah he doesn't have it up there yet, so it's not going to help you. It's still blank. Not until you put it up, and then it goes, bing, and there it is. <laughs> it's coming anyway. So growth. Now, this is another level. Growth is born out of loving worship, loving service, and loving relationships. Put the next one up, Mitch, and then we'll explain it. We've got outreach. Those are the five purposes right there, right? Fellowship, discipleship, ministry, evangelism, and worship. Those are the five things that the New Testament talks about. You can give them different names, different terms. It's really the things that the life of the church, the things that the church does. And what it produces up at the very top is it produces a maturing believer, or if you're very proper, a maturing believer, right? And it's an ING word. It's always happening. It's always going on. It's not a destination. It's not a goal that you get to. It's something that we're always doing. We're always maturing and growing, and we take that maturity right back down into love, and we work it through again. Thanks, Mitch. That's all I need you for. Um, What this shows you is at the bottom level, love is our purpose. That's our purpose. We We only have one purpose. That's the football, is love. Judge everything in your life by that. Do it. Judge everything in your life. What is, what is the loving thing for me to do in this situation? What in this situation does love require? What does it require of me? The second level, these three things, those three, th- three things are practices. So we practice love in relationships. We practice love in service. We practice love in worship. Those are the things that we actually do. You and I do those things. We worship. And that worship box, by the way, is reading your Bible. It's just spiritual disciplines, Bible study and prayer and and devotional time and worship, corporate and private. That's all in that worship box. And serving others with the gifts the Holy Spirit gives us and connecting with other people in relationship. And then the the fourth or the third level is are the results. Those are results. So now I haven't cleared this with Pastor John yet. He's probably going to have a talking to me afterwards. But I'm going to say there is no such thing as a discipleship ministry of a church. And there's really no such thing as an outreach ministry. There may be practices where we connect with people in relationship, where we connect with people in service, and it leads to an uh, outreach with people, but that's a result. See, grow, see, churches, they get, these, they get these 20 lesson discipleship things, and they take people through these lessons, and they learn all this information, and they say, there, you're discipled. You're, spirit, you're spiritually mature now. You've grown. But growth doesn't happen like in its own. You can't have a growth ministry, and you can't have like this visitation thing or this tent meeting thing or some kind of attractional thing to get people to come and, and get saved. It doesn't work that way. Churches have been trying to do that for decades. And churches grow, and then they go down again, and they grow, and then they go down again. And it's usually a a dynamic leader or a dynamic pastor who's a really great leader and a great pastor. But people only live so long. You've probably noticed that. You know, and they can only stay so long, and they only have so much energy. And when they're not there anymore, the thing tends to change. But what if it were based on love 
And what if it were based on, if you're in a loving relationship with somebody and in love you serve them, that's going to change their heart. That's the outreach. I've been loved by those people. Those people have served me. And they say they believe this thing and they live it out. And I'm a re- I've received that love. I- I'm going to buy into that. See, the loving worship service and relationships brings spiritual growth and brings outreach in the church. You can't get in your closet. Jesus said get in your closet and pray, right? And we do that. But you can't just get in your closet and pray by yourself and study by yourself and you're going to be a, a, a fully orbed, well-rounded, grown disciple. It doesn't work that way. It's when you practice love in relationships and the people, are, they're not, they're hard. They're not very nice. They do things and they, things happen and it's hard to be loving. That's when you grow. It's when you get into a relationship with other people and you study together and you hear this person's experience and that person's perspective and from this person's background and what this person thinks and the Holy Spirit in community working and the life of the community, we all then grow together. So that growth comes in community, that loving relationships, loving service, loving worship. As we practice those things in love, we grow and our church reaches out. So if a church isn't growing... Don't look at the evangelism program. Look at the love quotient. Because you can't love and not build a relationship. You can't do it. You can't love. You can't be obeying the command to love and not serve. You can't do it. You've got to serve. And you can't love and not worship. You have to. But here's the problem. There's a lot of churches that only do the top three levels. There's a lot of churches. They only do the top three. They don't, they don't even pay attention to the bottom one. When Jesus said, you guys, Jesus said, it's the most important thing. And Paul repeated it. He said, all the others hang on these two. But we don't look at that. We think it's so simplistic. We think it's like, uh, Jesus loves me, this I know. And we go right on to the meatier, more weightier stuff of theology and doctrine. When if you miss that, 1 Corinthians 13 reminds us, none of it matters. None of it, poof, it all goes up, it's vapor, it's gone. So, love becomes the purpose, then you have practices, then you have results of those practices, and the outcome is a maturing believer, a maturing Christian. That's the outcome. Now, these, uh, these little arrows show how this works pretty easy. It all just kind of goes up. It all rises. Like heat rising, right? If you love, you're going to be involved in those practices. And if you are involved in those things through the power of love, because love is the language of the king, and love is the currency of the kingdom, and love is the active ingredient without which the medicine doesn't work at all. But if the love is there, you can't not do those other things And if the love is there and you're doing those other things, the growth and outreach happens and we're growing and we're maturing. See, the whole key, the whole key is the love. The next slide, you see that we do this on the bottom two and God does the top two. See, we don't grow ourselves and we don't bring people to Christ. God does that. What does he tell us to do? He tells us to love him and love each other. And funny how when we do that, 
people come to Christ. It's funny how when we do that, God grows us, and we're maturing. But God does that. See, when we try to do the stuff that God does, then we're out of our league. He just said, listen, listen, listen. Just, you just love, you just love and connect and serve and worship, and I'll do the rest. You do this, and I'll do the rest. And so the next slide, it shows that the bottom two is our focus and the top two are God's focus. And so this is how the life of a church works in an overview. And in the coming weeks, we're going to go into each one of these separately. We're going to take them apart and see how this really works. This is how the body works. So what is your responsibility this week? It is to, it is to love. And you say, well, well, duh. We brought you all the way over here to tell us that? Yeah, because it's hard. So next week when we talk about love, we'll talk about how love isn't... Our, our society has redefined and mystified love. Love is hard as nails. It's, it's rock hard. It's hard to do. So legendary San Francisco 49ers coach Bill Walsh wrote a book called The Score Takes Care of Itself. And he believed that if you adhere to these three fundamental beliefs of leadership, that you wouldn't have to worry about the end result. You do these principles right, and the score is going to take care of itself. That's kind of what I'm saying here. I think that's what God says. I think that's what Jesus said when he said, all the others hang on these two. You do these two, and all the other commandments are going to take care of themselves. I think that's what Paul said in Galatians when he said the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. It's really that simple. This is a football. I know you're professional NFL players. I know Community Heights has been around for a long time. You're a little bit legendary in the Mid-America District. But that's love. And it's hard. And we got to practice it. And the more we practice love, I think it'll be interesting the more God will do it. And you've already seen it. You've already seen it. You're a loving church. You've already seen it. I want us to keep our eye on the prize and, God, and understand what we do and what God does. Would you pray with me? Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for these times, and there are more in the New Testament when you remind us that everything else hangs on loving you and loving each other. And that's not real glamorous or glitzy. It's not easy. It's actually rather inconvenient. Because I know for me, God, you know, that my, you know my heart. I want to do what I want to do. I want to pamper me. I want to be comfortable. And I want things to go my way. And somehow love is the opposite of that, where I care about others. And so it's hard for us, God. And I pray that as a body of believers here in Newton, in this, in this area of central Iowa, God, help us to be loving. Help us to love in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our organizations we're a part of. 
in our community. Help us to love. And Lord Jesus, would you show and evidence your power, the power of God, through the love that we get from you, that we share with others, and that we reflect back to you. Help us to do that this week. And help us to start probably with the person sitting next to us. Help us to love, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.